what we have in Galatians 5.16 is one of the great kind of sayings of Christianity. There are some words and phrases that come up in the Bible that believers around the world will use, and they really mean something. They're actually really, really valuable phrases. But what happens is sometimes they get lost because of overuse or because we don't really stop and think about what they mean. And what we're going to look at this morning is this, walk by the Spirit. Now, the phrase walk by the Spirit shows up in Galatians 5.16. And what happens is phrases like walk by the Spirit or in Christ or blessed or I'll pray for you. I mean, these are things that really, really mean something, but they can become vernacular that just sort of we sort of just say without really thinking about it. And what can happen inadvertently is this. We can take something that's really meaningful, walk by the Spirit, and almost put it like a religious knick-knack gathering dust that has zero relevance for our lives. If you look at the Gospels, one of the things that's striking about Jesus is this. If you read the Gospels, and there's four of them, so you kind of get four different vantage points. And what you notice is this, that most of the personal encounters of Jesus Christ don't take place in a church. When you look at his healings, think about where most of his healings take place. Most of them don't take place in a church. When you go through and just start to read his life, what you realize is very few of these miraculous teachings and these these things that we quote and that are so meaningful to us didn't take place in the church. Now, anyone know how many hours are in everyone's week? We all get the same amount of hours. Seven times 24, what is it? 168. Yeah, someone's like, boom, math in church. I love it. Wouldn't you agree that if the only time that we really thought about or understood or knew what it meant to walk by the Spirit, if the only time we understood what that looked like was while we were in church, we're missing a whole big chunk of what it means to follow Christ and what it means to be a Christian? That's maybe two hours of your week. If you're in community group, I guess you can kind of count that as religious activity, I suppose. But what about the other 166 hours in our week? What does it look like? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. This is going to require you to probably get up and move, and I'll give you a tip in advance. The chairs are linked together, okay? So this is going to, this is going to affect what's about to go on. What I want to do is this. I want to have three groups on this side and three groups on this side. I want you just to form and circle up. If there's some gaps, come and move near someone. And I want you as a group this morning to just take a couple of minutes and just come up with, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Now, you're going to need to appoint a spokesperson because we're going to actually hear the responses of it. And don't, listen to me, don't feel the need to be profound. Don't feel the need to have the all-encompassing biblical answer But starting in Galatians 5.16, this is an open book test, right, Uh, as life is. Starting with Galatians 5.16, just begin to dialogue and discuss that. Kids, we, we are intentionally doing this with you here. We want your input. What do you think it means to walk by the Spirit, okay? So right now, all over the room, I need three groups formed. So kind of a back, middle, front. Identify where you are with your group and do this fairly quickly. You don't even have time to introduce yourselves. Just get together and start talking. All right, band. You guys, you guys get to form a group and come up with an answer too. Okay. Walk by the Spirit. Right. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? All right. 
Put your pencils down. Pencils down, students. All right, I want you to stay in your group. But so that we can have the benefit of the whole body, what I want to do is this. I want you to remain in your group, but listen to the other group's answers, and then be ready with yours. So this group in the back has been sitting for a solid two minutes. They were ready two minutes ago. So I have really high expectations of this group. They're sitting neatly in rows. They're all smiling. They've planned for this somehow. So who's the spokesperson? Robert. All right. Walk by the Spirit. What did you guys come up with? All right, the band. We broke it down into three words. Listen, surrender, and follow, and then the will of God. Awesome. Thank you. They were going to do an acapella number and put it all to music. <laughs> but. All right, over here. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Go ahead and grab, grab a seat back. Uh, listen, a couple of things. It was really rich, wasn't it, to hear the different groups, and there's actually a lot of layers to this. This is a great picture of the body of Christ, by the way. Uh, most Sundays, uh, just, just the way we do it, there's often a few people talking, just a, a handful of people talking. But we want to also incorporate times where we get to hear from, from the body. And it's good that every Sunday we don't just have everyone stand up and share whatever they feel like sharing. It's good to have prepared things and whatnot. But even the act of what you just did, participating in learning and grabbing onto that, and all of a sudden you're forced, someone's going to actually have to speak. I mean, those kinds of things, those are good for us. So great job in moving into groups. Uh, you, guys did, you guys did an A-plus uh, on that. I really appreciate that. We're going, to sing, uh, we're going to sing one more song and then actually dive into this some more. So leave your finger there in, in Galatians 5. I'd invite you to go ahead and pull out your, uh, your notes. If you're a note taker, you can, you can pull those out. Listen, yesterday morning, super fun, uh, on this stage right behind me, uh, a ministry got kicked off uh, that is going to be, it's a little bit like Love, Inc. for the Hispanic community here in, in the immediate neighborhood, and some different churches were gathered, and a whole different worship style was going on behind me. It was really, really fun to, to just see here this, this birth of something new, kind of a, a ministry going on. So you'll kind of watch for the city, we'll be commenting about it up here as well, but couple times a month, our building is going to be used as kind of a staging ground, kind of a, a rally point for, uh, for medical needs, for um, filling out forms, just different kinds of things that are going to be going on here in this community. So really exciting. Uh, for seven years, I've had people approach me, and I've met people in the community, and many of them have asked. They hear me speak a little bit of Spanish, which I can fake them out because my mom's fluent, so I sound like I know what I'm talking about. And they light up and start talking to me, and I go, no comprendo. You know, I don't know what they're talking about. But they always ask, when are you going to get a Spanish-speaking service? And it's always just, it's a hard thing, so I direct them elsewhere. Well, here we're finally getting to answer that in some way, shape, or form. So love to have you be a part of that. We've already had some of our Spanish speakers here in the body say, man, we're excited about that. We're going to be here and, um, and be a part of that. This morning, what I'd like you to do is this. Galatians 5 is, is where we're going to be, as I already mentioned. I would like you to go ahead and um, just make a list on your paper there of your personal vices and virtues. So you could kind of do your, your top 10 list. If you want to tweet those in, we're going to actually put those on the screen this morning with your name next to it. No, not really. You don't, you don't have to really make the list. But some of you are like, man, we're breaking into groups and now we're putting our sins on the screen. We're really shifting gears here. You know what's interesting? We don't, we don't have to do that. I mean, it would be kind of challenging to write, write your, your top 10 virtues that, that you see 
that are being formed in you and your top 10 vices, you know, that, that, are, that really just, you know, have a, have a grip on you. We don't have to do that because the Bible actually does that for us. Uh, I heard a long time ago that the Bible is the most unique book because you read the Bible, but the Bible also reads you. And when I look at these lists that we're approaching in our text, we're actually not even going to get into them today. Uh, this is like pre, pre-work to, to launch into the vice and virtue list that we find here in the scriptures. But before we do that, I want to just talk through a couple of things, lest we move right into the very false doctrine that Paul is teaching his flock out of. I don't know about you, but when I talk to people, a lot of people think Christianity is about a list of do's and don'ts. Have you heard that before? Okay. Even people who go to church. When I talk with them, what is the essence of being a Christian? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to be in Christ? A lot of times, we might start to regurgitate and revert back to this list of do's and don'ts, as if the essence of Christianity is about doing the things you're supposed to do and not doing the other things you're not supposed to do, right? Paul, I think, would throw up if he ever knew that Galatians, the letter he wrote to the Galatians, was being used to perpetuate that heresy. Because he would scream and pull his hair out and say, no, that's not at all what it is. This list that I put in here of vices and virtues was not meant to to perpetuate religious rule-keeping and ritual-making. That's not what this is about. That's actually driving away from the point. So once again, if we pick up verses kind of mid-flow and don't catch the flow of what's going on, we will create, catch this, a false religion. We might be guilty of teaching Christianity, that's really American Christianity, that's really a heresy. Something that the Bible doesn't actually teach. So it's really important for us. It's really weighty on me as a person who gets up in front and teaches. It's really weighty on us as a congregation as we listen, to listen and say, is this really the flow? Is this really what the scriptures are teaching us today? The very thing that uh, that people might do with a list like this is turn it back into a prison, back into bondage. And Paul would scream, no. The Christian life is about what Christ has already done, not what we do or don't do. From the cross, Jesus hung there. And what did he say? It is finished. The payment's over. So the language we use, the way we correct our children, the way we make amends when we wrong one another, it's good to say this overtly, explicitly. The punishment, the payment for what that is done, that's already been paid for. I'm not going to try and dish that out to you. That's the gospel. That's, that's this grace we've been singing about. Did you hear how many times the word grace was just sung? That's what it's talking about. The gospel is absolutely great news for anyone in here this morning who's trying harder and exhausted. And the gospel, the gospel is great news for that. When you finally realize, why well, I can lay that down. I can't possibly earn my way to God. So the new life that you have in Christ is a free life. Um, now, what we've been covering the last couple of weeks is this. Careful not to lose sight of it. Careful not to, 
to, to, to walk in this. Some people slip right back into bondage, right? And, they, and in their new life, their new free life in Christ, they go into a new set of rule keeping, a new kind of status quo over here, and they're, they're just as trapped as before. Some people slip right past that mode and go right into license. And all of a sudden, they're living a very promiscuous lifestyle of which the scriptures are very clear not to live that way. So, so what we talked about the last few weeks is kind of a, this is kind of just a quick review of the last couple paragraphs, which is to, to say, no, you've been set free. Now walk in this and don't slip to the left or the right. Now, I promised last week what we're going to get into this week and the weeks ahead is how? How do you do that? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit all of a sudden comes in and forms the picture and says, okay, this is, this is how we do this without it becoming man and woman trying to strive and do their best to follow after God. All right, Galatians 5.16. Here's how I want to handle this morning. I'm going to give you three words, and, uh, and we're just going to kind of look at these um, together. Uh, the first one's found in Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, just like in our day and age, uh, it was true in, in, in the era that this was written in, um, walking was the most unspectacular, uh, slowest method of transportation that was around. Now, that was the one most readily available to many people in that day and age. But if you were a walker and you saw a horse go by, you longed for the horse, right? If you were on a horse and you saw, you know, a person of influence go by with, you know, with a chariot, with a sweet hood emblem, you're like, oh, I want the chariot. So, I mean, th- this sounds familiar. You know, this is us right now. But walking was just this basic plodding method of transportation, but it got you there, right? And, and this, this metaphor of walking is found all through the scriptures and we covered this actually a while ago in the step of yes, talking about Enoch. Remember what, what Enoch's invitation was? It was to walk with God. I think that's one of the most beautiful invitations in the scriptures is that Enoch walked with God. And that wasn't Enoch's idea. He must have been invited into that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that simple? God just saying, just walk with me, son. What does God require of you? To walk humbly with your God. So, we, we hearken back to some of the things that we, that we talked about. Um, walking means more than just moving your legs. It also refers kind of metaphorically to behavior, to lifestyle. And we use this inside and outside the church. People come from all walks of life, right? Um, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. I'm quoting the great Jimmy Johnson, Cowboys coach right now, but he stole it from somewhere else. So this isn't a churchy idea. We use this all the time about, about your walk being more than just moving moving your legs. When it, when, it, when it comes to a Christian and they're talking about their walk, this is, again, one of those really meaningful phrases that's scriptural that can kind of just get mushy and weird and we don't really even know what it means. But for a Christian, kind of the Christianese decoder of the morning is this. If someone comes and asks, hey, Joy, how is your walk going? What they are asking you is how is your, how is your life with God going? How's your relationship with the Lord going? One of the things that someone has continued since that Enoch message for a long, from a long time ago is this. I said this, that a lot of times when someone walks up and says, hey, Ruth, how's your walk going? There's this pressure to, to come up with something big. Like, I, I better share something. Well, uh, in my quiet time this morning, I whatever. Or I had this experience or, or whatever else it might be. And, and I think there's sometimes this weird little pressure to, to put something on. 
Here's a perfectly acceptable response to that question. And I think a perfectly God-honoring response to it. It's this. How's your walk going, Marie? And Marie looks at me and says, I'm still walking. I'm still walking. Don't you want to be found faithful in the end? I mean, isn't there an end goal to all of this? It's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. So I'm still walking, right? You don't quote your last mile split. Who cares? The goal is that you get across the finish line. By God's grace, that you're going to finish this thing. So uh, someone in our church continually tells me, I've heard it just come up, hey, still walking. I'm still walking. I love that response. I think that's just such a great response. So walk by the Spirit often is unsexy. It's not that glamorous. It doesn't mean there's, there's just constantly these giant glowing experiences. Oftentimes, it's just dust of the earth walking along, still walking. It's daily. If a believer is walking, it means that they are going somewhere. The Greek of this particular passage could be translated this, keep on walking. So we we often have it walk by the Spirit, but it's the idea of walk and keep on walking by the Spirit because it's not just a one-day practice. Do you see the promise found in this one verse? The promise is this, walk by the Spirit. What does the rest of it say? And what? Walk by the Spirit and? Yeah, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you know that everyone who's ever lived has tried to figure out the key to how to not do the things they for some reason desire to do? Sometimes the key is this, just give in. Just stop worrying about it and do whatever you want to do. This is a promise held for us that says, you walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In Colossians, we're told, keep our eyes on the things of heaven. We're to look up at God. And I had us do this when we were going through Colossians. If you're looking up, everyone look up with me right now. While you're looking up, I want you to look at the ground right now. Okay, now if you're looking up, unless you're, what's that animal that can do the eye thing? Unless you're one of those, you can't possibly do it. Okay, you can stop looking up. This is really creepy. Everyone's like, ah. If the news were here, they're like, a new cult is forming in San Jose. Everyone's like, do you see how you can't look up and look down at the same time? So what if in every moment we just said, God, I want to see you in this. I want to find you in this. I want to look up and, and, not, and not look down. What if walking by the Spirit, is we, we just kind of get that same picture in our minds that that if we're in fact walking by the Spirit in any given moment, in any situation, in any words coming out of our mouth, we are not gratifying the desires of the flesh. I mean, do you see how huge, what a gift this one verse is to the Christian life? It's huge. It's huge that we figure this out. It's huge that we don't just leave this as kind of a cute religious knickknack that, you know, if you're new here, you start to pick up the phraseology and you're like, I guess once in a while I throw out a walking by the Spirit, but I have no idea what that means. Here's the promise. Do this, and this won't even happen. This will change. So that really behooves us to figure this out. So what enables our walking? It's the Holy Spirit. You know what's true of every single true Christian? I say true Christian because we have to delineate somewhat in our culture because depending on what state you're from, everyone's a Christian, right? 
And so we have to kind of figure out, you know, what we're really talking about. But according to a, a born-again, regenerate believer, according to the Bible, there's something that's true of every single person who's a Christian. And that is that they've been given a birthday gift on their birthday, on their spiritual birthday, and it's the Holy Spirit. That every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, we're going to spend the next three weeks at least, actually moving on into chapter 6 as well, talking about the Spirit's role in our life. Who is this third person of the Trinity? We actually just praised Him. The word Him means praise. We, Him, the Spirit. We're praising a person. We're praising part of the Godhead. So as we get into the Spirit in these next several weeks, um, I want you to hear from the outset that every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Spirit do? I'm going to give you just a, a smattering of words. I'm not going to give you the Scripture reference. You've got to go find it yourself, see if I'm telling you the truth. But here's just a few things. He empowers us. He awakens us. He convicts us. He comforts us. He moves our hearts. He gives words to our deepest and most wordless longings and prayers. And that's just kind of tip of the iceberg. But those are some things we know from Scripture. You know, it's one of the most powerful pictures of the Spirit's effect on a person is Peter. Read Peter in the Gospels, and what do you find? You find someone who's pretty brash and courageous. You find someone who's a knucklehead. You find someone who will give a God-ordained truth to Christ and in the very next breath need to be rebuked as Satan by Christ because of something that he said. You'll find him uh, just fearful and denying and running and doing all these different things. And then after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes, what do you see in the life of Peter? What you see in the life of Peter is not a perfect person, but what you see is you see a more full, true picture of who God created Peter to be. A redeemed Peter. A spirit-indwelt Peter. And so, so just as a, as a biblical example to kind of look at what does a life look like uh, before the Holy Spirit comes and after, man, Peter's a, a pretty great subject to kind of look at and, and study. Next word that we're going to look at is the word conflict. When we talk about the word walk, this isn't, this isn't a stroll. This isn't a walk in the park. Sometimes people do a great disservice to teaching someone about what it means to be a Christian because they undersell the fact that we're in a war, that we are walking in a war. Look at, look at verse 17. It says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The word conflict comes from two Latin words that means this, strike and together. Con is with, so fight together. There's conflict. When we look at this passage, there's all kinds of conflicts talked about in the scriptures. And in fact, this group brought out some of the, the warfare mentality, some of the, the sword of the Spirit and putting on the armor of God. There's, there's different kinds of conflicts that are talked about in the Scriptures. But the one we're talking about here is desires. Do you see that? Strong urges. Older translations used to word, use the word lusts, but our modern brain turns that into just simply sexual things. And it's not talking about simply sexual things. It's talking about these strong desires. 
And what's at war, what's conflicting, what's fighting together are strong desires that are good and strong desires that are bad. And they're battling each other. Do you notice where the battle's taking place? That's right inside all of us. It's the strong urges we have to do the things of the Spirit and the strong urges we have to do the things of the flesh. Now, by God's grace, when we, when we are born again, we are given by God brand new desires. And we just fill this room with testimonies of people who say, man, I, I tried, I struggled for years to get rid of this undesirable habit or longing that I had, and in a moment, God took that away. Praise God for those. I really hope you have some of those. But then there are other desires that all of us possess that we wonder, God, why didn't you just take that one away in a moment? Because it's been 20 years, and that one's still with me. I'm still fighting that one. So God comes in and gives us brand new desires, but it's not a total healing, is it? It's not just that all of the bad urges, all the things we wish we didn't desire but do, just went away. Look at a child for this. A child is born, and we were, I was just talking with, uh, with six-month-old, tell me your child's name again. Jacob. Jacob. Six-month-old Jacob. Now, six-month-old Jacob, I'm discovering, looks a little bit more like nine-month-old Jacob, but he's really six months. And Jacob is starting off young, and he is going to develop. He's going through these different phases of growing up and just developing. When we talked about our walk, remember some of you were here for this, but remember little Connor Shelley? Connor Shelley now is running all over the place. But I brought Connor Shelley up for both services, and I had him just walk around up here with his daddy, and he was just learning to walk, and he was unstable, and we all watched him, and that's the life of the Christian. You're born again, and you start kind of stumbling your way forward. And you fall a whole bunch. And you get back up, and you keep walking. And six months later, and a year later, and ten years later, you're in a different place than where you first were. So there are some Christians in this room who, who it would behoove us to go and get to know and talk with a little bit. Because maybe we're at the ten-year mark, or the five-year mark, or the one-year walk of what it means to walk by the Spirit, of what it means... Um, to put to death the flesh, of what it means to engage in this conflict. And we could look to someone who's been at this 20 years, 30 years. They're in our church. And just say, hey, you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive. Could, could, I, just, could I just take a walk with you? Could I buy you a cup of coffee? Could I, just, could I just pick your brain a little bit about this? I need some help in my walk. I need to know what, what you've done. What, is, what has God done in you? What, what has helped you in all of this? So before even getting to the conflict, um, I just want to state the obvious that we are in a conflict. I mean, let this filter your experience rather than, than gloss over it. God loudly shows us two ways in the Scriptures. Think about Jesus. There's the narrow road and the wide road. Right? Over and over, he's talking about the weeds and the wheat. He's talking about sheep and goats. He's describing two different ways, two different paths. The prophets scream loudly, trust me and live, or trust yourself or your chariots or another nation and die. Two ways. People were in conflict over what to do with that. The New Testament talks a lot about the flesh being at war with the Spirit. We can find more of this in Romans. 
But here's the truth. Not everyone believes this. We live in a day and an age where increasingly there's kind of this false spirit that's reigning and ruling in the hearts and minds of people that say this. It's all right. It's all right. There's really only one truth, and that truth is whatever you believe. Now, the nonsense of this is a whole different sermon, okay? But I was a bank teller for seven years. This does not work in the banks. Agreed? Right? Someone comes in and says, I deposited, you know, I showed that he deposited $100. He wants to withdraw $1,000. And he tells me, this is my truth. This is what I believe. And I tell him, that's fantastic. You can have $100. You're 900 short. Try Bank of America. I don't know. Maybe they do that. We don't do that here. That doesn't really work here. So what we do is we we do this in certain areas. I'll tell you where this is really prevalent. In morality, right? In morality, all truth is true. It's whatever you believe. That's, That's the most progressive way with this. You are seen as a progressive. You're seen as a forward thinker if you are if you are in this mode. I'll tell you one that showed up in two different ways. Two articles on Friday. One article pointed out that on forms, increasingly now, there's not just male and female to check because that's boxing people in. So there's male, female, not just male, female, and transgender. There's actually male, female, and then a variety of kinds of transgender. And Facebook is the latest one to, to jump on this bandwagon and move forward in this saying... Um, whatever you think you are is is what it is. Now, that denies Genesis, which says that God made mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. That's what God's given to us. And what we've taken with that is we've lifted the lids on that and said we don't want to box anyone in on this. And it's going to cause, it already is causing great confusion in the locker room in middle school, Right? in the bathroom. I mean, following some of these out to the logical conclusion leads to some really, really strange places. Increasingly, um, this, this idea that there is a God's way and, and a wrong way and everything else is wrong is, is under attack and is not going to be popular. That was one, uh, that was one article, the Facebook article. The other one talked about um, I think it's in, in Norway somewhere where dolphins are getting the same rights. It's being pushed for, for dolphins to get the same rights as human beings. Once again, just, just a, a blurring and a devaluing and a confusion on, on some different things. And, and um, left with no absolutes, what happens is we say, well, who are we to judge that? Who are we to, to, to know that? And Romans 1 talks about kind of a darkened mind and God just giving people over to their own desires. And so this is the way that the world is going. So let the filter of conflict help you make sense in this and enter the fight. Don't just give in to your impulses, to your desires. It's impossible to remain neutral on this. There's no Switzerland's when it comes to uh, flesh or the spirit. You, you are taking a side. Even if you say you're not, you're taking a side on one or the other. Here's my challenge to us church. Side with the spirit. Realize every situation is a conflict and just say, I want to side with the spirit on this. I don't want to side with with the flesh on this. And then as a baby wobbles and falls flat on his face, what do the parents do in that moment? 
they cheer and celebrate that they're walking, right? They pick them up, they brush them off, clean up the bloody nose if there's some blood, and they, and they beckon them on further. Come on, keep coming. We don't leave our brothers and sisters fallen in the dirt. We don't watch them fall and start kicking them, right? We cheer that they're walking. And as older siblings in Christ, we help them up and we say, come on, keep coming. You keep in this battle. This is one that's worth fighting. Side with the Spirit in all things. Notice that we can't blame Satan or or demons here. There's a whole sect of Christianity that wants to find Satan under every rock. And they deny passages like this, which say the the battle rages within us. It's our own sinful nature and our own new God-given spiritual nature. So it's, it's not something that we can always blame out there. As long as you and I are in this tent in the flesh, uh, this battle is going to rage. I remember as a young high school student, just getting kind of serious about my walk with God, talking to an ancient guy. He was my youth pastor. He seemed super old at the time. Not so much anymore. Um, but I asked him, I said, man, when, when, I, I want to live a pure life. I don't want to have eyes that, that lust. I don't want to have a heart that's proud. I don't want to do these things. When does this go away? And he said something that kind of bummed me out. But it was truthful. He said, it doesn't. I'm still battling those things. Oh, you are. You're the youth pastor. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I do. So, so don't be duped either by some magic, uh, some magic or extra blessing that, that suddenly is just going to take all of this away. If someone is telling you that, they are denying the witness of Scripture. They're denying church history. The greats that have gone before us, people that finished really, really well. They struggled till the end. Wouldn't it be a great lie of the enemy to say you've arrived, you can coast now, you can relax? I think that's why a lot of people, you know, we only see the public ones because the public ones make the news, but we all do this in our own hearts. God gives us success. We're walking with him. We're, we're there. And taking our eyes off Jesus like Peter on the water, right? And we just, and we just sink, um, and, and we, come, we come crashing down, maybe because they had thought they had arrived. Don't be duped by that. Don't fall for that. This can be a lifelong conflict. But we have the Holy Spirit for a lifetime. He's never going anywhere. The Holy Spirit leads every Christian. But here's how the Holy Spirit leads. He doesn't lead us with force. I have at times wished, God, here, here's my wrist. Take a handcuff. You just lead me. I'll go wherever you want. Have you ever prayed prayers like that? Just do it, Lord. And then what he says is this. That's not how I lead. He doesn't force me into anything. He participates with me. He woos and he beckons. He shows the way. He nudges when I'm off course. He spanks when I'm really off course. But that's how the Holy Spirit leads us. Not with force, but with invitation. One of the primary ways... Um, that that we are led uh, is in partnership with what God's already revealed to us in his word. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals to us the words of God so that our spirits are awakened to what God is saying. So instead of looking for, sometimes we want to find a new book that's going to give us the the keys, this podcast that really helps, uh, you know, this daily reading, whatever else it is. I would say do a daily reading, but do it from God's word. Go to the Word, and in full confidence that you have the Holy Spirit and that He's leading you, uh, just do what it says. 
Now, we know that this whole siding with the Spirit is going to take some perseverance. We know it's going to take some sweat equity on our part. You know why? Paul and others continually use this, this athletic metaphor, this warfare metaphor. You don't do warfare while kicking it on the couch, right? It takes some effort on your part. It's not for the victory, it's from victory. I mean, there's all these truths that are real, but it is going to require something from you. All right, Galatians 5.18, the last word I want to talk about is the word spirit. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. We saw in verse 16, to walk by the spirit. Now we have this if-then clause. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. That's telling him, telling them once again not to go back into bondage. I want you to look at your cover of your bulletin for a moment. Um, in red, in microscopic writing, um, it says, I think, the words spirit help for what? what are, <laughs> for the war within. Spirit help for the war within. Now, some of you may have already looked at that and immediately thought, what does that mean? Spirit help? Is that new age? Like, where is this, where is this sermon going to go? Spirit help. If you looked at that and you had some questions about it, I'm thrilled with it. I'm really glad you asked. Because it's really important when... Here's, a, here's the thing that, 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 um, that causes anxiety in me. I laid awake last night praying for this morning. I pray for you. I get to see your lovely faces almost every week from this vantage point. And so I go through and I just think of people and I just pray for them. Sometimes God brings people to heart. Sometimes I just kind of work my way through. But I thought to myself, God, I'm going to stand up or sit because I'm really tired this morning, I guess. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about you. I'm going to talk to people and teach people about you. And that's a really humbling thing. I I go into that with a lot of confidence because God's called me to this. I didn't seek this out. But I also go into it with a certain sense of fear and trembling and say, God, I don't want to blaspheme. I I don't want to give a wrong picture of you. I don't want to speak more than what I know of you. So help me with this. I pray, help me with this. When I bring up the word spirit, um, it probably conjures up some different things in different people depending on your background. Um, if you've grown up in the church and been raised in the church, I hope you've heard about the Holy Spirit. and He's been talked about and, and taught on. I mean, he's all through the scriptures. Um, but this can get a little wacky, too. There's a whole camp of Christians that whenever you bring up the Holy Spirit or things that they don't quite understand... They're immediately suspicious and dismissive of it. So if someone starts to talk and starts to use biblical phrases about a prayer time they had, immediately whole camps of Christians shut that down and don't allow for that kind of talk. And so they they kind of move off in this direction. It's easier to control things we don't understand by just putting a lid on it and not even talking about it. Um, There's a whole separate camp of Christians. By the way, before we move off that camp, um, 
We, we like to put labels on things. This is part of the fall, I believe. But one of the labels that we put, I gave my wife, I just have to share this, I wasn't going to do this. Uh, I gave my wife a card on Valentine's Day that said this. It said, well, it's just the two of us this year. We've made it through changing diapers and school activities and sports and jobs and college and all this, and now it's back to just the two of us, sweetie. I'm so you know, thrilled about you and this and that. And I'm literally in Lifeway Christian Bookstore laughing out loud like a geek. I'm just like... <laughs> So I wrote to my wife, I said, this was in the prophecy section at, at Lifeway. Because we're not there yet, right? But there is an end goal, and I fully intend to be thrilled with my wife at the end goal. But we are so not there right now. And when I saw that card, I pulled it up, and it said, it's just the two of us. I'm like, nope. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The prophecy section. That's kind of interesting. There's prophecy section at Lifeway. Lifeway? What's going on? LifeGate? LifeWay? It's been Berean my whole life. Sorry. There's charismatic interest section. There's these different sections in the bookstore, and even that just kind of shows how we kind of characterize things. Now, just to bring you up to speed, if you are a Pentecostal, what that's talking about is this. The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. We can read about it in, Acts, in, in, in the book of Acts. If you're from the Pentecostal background, you got that label because those things are emphasized and talked about quite a bit in the Pentecostal church. If you're charismatic, charisma, that comes from the word gifts. That's talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. I look at those terms and I go, well, I didn't grow up Pentecostal or charismatic, but I believe in Pentecost. Do I want charisma? Do I want the gifts? Absolutely. I want in on both those titles. So I don't want that to be hijacked and not be a part of that. Someone said of our church one time, they said, Dave, NBC is the most charismatic, non-charismatic church I've ever been a part of. And I said, I said, praise God. I want in on that. I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to just relegate all of that to some past time that God doesn't move in that way anymore. That those are things I don't understand, so we're not going to talk about them. Now, if that's one camp, there's a whole other camp of Christians. And there's, there's charismatics and then there's charismaniacs, right? And what it does is it takes things of the Spirit, and it elevates them, you would think if you read the, the Bible to certain camps of Christians that all that's ever talked about are signs and wonders and miraculous and mysterious things. And if those things aren't showing up, then God's not present. And that denies and neglects many of the plotting things that just kind of go on in the Scriptures, the day-to-day stuff. It would actually relegate Jesus' ministry to just the high points, just the miracles, just walking on water and multiplying fish and loaves when there was all kinds of other time that's recorded in there. So what I want is this. I don't want us, as we talk about the Spirit, to fall into the camp of that's some other church and they, do, they take some license with that, so we're not going to go anywhere near there. That's denying the Bible. How can you walk by the Spirit if, you don't, if you're fearful of what that even looks like? And I don't want you to be duped by everything that seems emotional and spectacular and assume, well, that must be God at work. And if that's not going on, then God's not at work. First John gives us some instruction on this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Catch this. False prophets come in the form of really... Uh, subdued teachers 
And false prophets have gone into the world as really charismatic type leaders that have swept people away into heresy on both sides. Would you pray for us as a church? I mean, just even as we walk through this, God, would you help me to go into this with an open mind and not be trapped from here and not be trapped from over here? I want to see what you have to say on this. Jesus is seeking worshipers who are full of spirit and truth. These are not two parts of the camp fighting against each other. These should both be present as we worship God, and I'm not talking about just singing. All right, here's the homework for this week. I want to invite the band to come on up. The homework for this week is this. I want you to read through the vices and virtues list. And as you read through, I want you to ask yourself, how well does this list read our current world? Is this current? Or because this was written 2,000 years ago, are we so advanced that we no longer even have these vices or seek after these virtues? And the Bible's an incredibly current book. Bringing it more personal, what is the fruit? What is the evidence of my own life? Do you see, do you see fruit from the flesh or do you see fruit from the Spirit? It's going to be a mixture, isn't it? We're not miraculously healed from all of our immoral longings and desires. But just like you might ask someone, hey, how does this look on me? Hey, do I have something in my teeth? You sometimes need perspective of other people to say, would you be honest with me and tell me some of the things that you see evidence as fruit from my life? Finally, if you want to take me, take me up on, the, on this part of the homework, go read John 15. Do it today or tomorrow. Do it within the next couple of days and read the whole chapter. There's a great promise at the end that talks about the Spirit. But, but this is Jesus um, giving some instructions to his disciples just before he's about to go away. And it, it, it is so on us. It's so timely for us to learn as we walk into vices and virtues to, to see how this is going to be accomplished. Jesus spoke to this in John chapter 15. We're going to sing a song right now. The band's going to lead us. It's a new song. If you want to sing along, great. If you want to just let the words wash over you, fantastic. But in the next couple of chapters, I want you to notice how much emphasis there is on the spirit rather than the command to, uh, to love or to serve. The command to love and serve are going to be there, but the, the weight of it is on the spirit. That's to teach us that the emphasis is God's going to be working in and through us. This is not... Uh, now you love and serve, you love and serve. Do it harder, do it faster, do it better. But the Spirit is the emphasis, and we partner with Him in that. There's a certain now and not yet component to the Christian life. I don't know if you've caught that yet, but I want you to catch in this song the word until. The word until is brought up several times, and it keeps for us this focus of the goal, that there's something coming, that we're walking towards something, and we're partnering with God in this.